you know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Ark Russell. I'm the founding host of the podcast. I've been crewing up on sets for over 10 years. I've made dozens of films, shorts, and features as either a producer or a director. And I just premiered my first feature film, The Alternate, at Dances with Films uh, last weekend. And the teaser trailer is out. So watch it. Watch it and tell me if you love it or you hate it. Because most people tell me they love it. And I can't believe that everyone loves it. I'm Liz Manichel. I'm a writer, director, producer, and I've done that on two features. I'm also a former film critic and a current distribution consultant. I used to manage Sundance's Creative Distribution Initiative, and that's my claim to fame. But more importantly, this week, Ulrich and I are chatting with filmmaker Veronica McKenzie on the show, and she talks about the making of her first feature, Nine Nights. Our conversation with V uh, just goes to show you that there's nothing standing in the way of you making your film. And she drops a lot of amazing tips and advice. And um, I think we both were just thrilled to talk to her. Also, after the interview, Ulrich recaps his experience at the aforementioned Dances with Films Film Festival. And um, I'm guessing may ask me a few questions about audience building and distribution. So we'll see what happens. But without further ado, let's go to the interview. So we're here with V McKenzie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for inviting me. So we're we're gonna jump right into our uh, you know first questions about your film Nine Nights. So give us the elevator pitch for the film. Oh my God, elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> so Nine Nights is about a young girl who loses her brother and refuses to accept that he's gone. And in the Caribbean, we have. Um, a morning ritual called Nine Nights, which gives you time to kind of let the person go, but she refuses. Mm. Is that quick enough? <laughs> so, that was perfect. Yeah. Uh, how many days did you shoot? So we shot over 18 days, um, very long days um, in my house, actually, because the location fell through. Um, lesson wow. number one, secure your location. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what was the rough budget of the film? I don't talk about the budget, um, but it was very low budget. Um, <laughs> we don't talk yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very low budget. Um, it's my first feature. Um, and we originally raised, I think it was £75,000 or $100,000 equivalent. Um, and then we, you know, obviously that doesn't take into account um, post-production and pick, you know, hardly anything really. So then we had to raise another lot of money. So we can um, safely say under half a million US dollars. Very safely say. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how did you come up with the idea? So the idea was... Um, so I'd always wanted to do something about reincarnation. So it's a bit long-winded, but um, I was trying to work out writing something about reincarnation because I come from a comedy background. I used to write comedy. I used to write quick sketches and I wanted something a little bit more substantial. Um, and then my mum passed away um, really suddenly. And I found all of these older Jamaican women turning up at the house and saying, you've got to do this and you've got to do that for nine nights. And people come into the house that I didn't know and eating and 
you know, and it was just so overwhelming. Um, this part of my culture that I didn't really know anything about up until that point. And a couple of years after that, I sat down to write um, something. I think it was another comedy and then Nine Nights started forming. And I realized I really wanted to talk about the grieving process, um, but specifically about somebody who didn't accept it um, and wanted to kind of just explore what that was like, just explore mm. that whole grieving process. Because um, you don't really see, like you see, especially black characters, you see them being killed or, you know, being angry about somebody being killed, but you don't really sit in that space where they don't accept it. So I wanted to explore that. And then how long did you spend working on the film from coming up with the idea to it, you know, finally being released? Oh gosh, years. <laughs> it was years. So I wrote the script. Um, gosh, I wrote the script and then I entered it into a few competitions and I got, um, I think it was the Nicole Fellowships. I got quarter finalist stage and so I got some interest from the industry. Um, I was living in London at, at the time. Um, and so I got some industry, ex, you know, kind of exposure and then somebody auctioned it and then they sat on it for a while. And then we went into development um, and then they kept chipping away at the idea and chipping away, chipping away at the idea. And then they dropped it. So mm. I was devastated. And this was over a period of about six years. Um, and so I'd moved on because I was so really kind of upset that nothing had happened. I was so excited and nothing happened. Um, and then about three years, about nine years later from writing the original script, um, I was talking to someone about, you know, just wanting to do something, just wanting to, you know, be creative and make my mark. And she just said, why don't you make the film yourself? Why are you waiting for a director to come along and do it. You know, you're a writer, but you can also visualize your story, you know, it inside and out. Um, and by then I knew it inside and out because it had been pulled apart and it had been, you know, um, <laughs> everything. And she just said, just do it. What are you waiting for? And I was like, I can't, I'm not a director, I'm a writer. And she's like, these days you've got to be more than one thing. Um, and then that's how I started to think, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I can do it. It's more or less set in a few locations. Um, I knew the character so well. I knew what I wanted it to look like and what I wanted it to feel like. So, yeah, I kind of just dived in, really. I didn't know what I was doing, I think, <laughs> on hindsight. But I just, I just thought, you know, she's right. I'm waiting for someone to come and, you know, produce and direct this, the script. And... You know, for years, people say, no, it's a really good script, but nobody, you know, it just wasn't going anywhere. So it's down to me. <laughs> so, yeah. I already have a title for this episode, Auric, and it's um, The Reluctant Filmmaker. <laughs> Which I think. Yes, I used to be so against, um, like my friends were filmmakers when I used to be in fashion. And they'll say, oh, come, you know, come on the set and be an extra. And, and I hated it. I hated it. Hanging around. Oh, my God. You know, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be on set again. I just, I, no, don't ask me. <laughs> um, well, we are going to unpack that in a second. The last question for this is, 
compared to all the projects you've done, you know, whether written or made or whatever, how difficult was this one by in comparison? This one was, um, so this is my first feature. Um, I've made a documentary, which was, and that was a really weird because um, that was interviewing some people, like a 10 minute thing, and then it grew and then it grew. So I didn't set out to make um, a documentary or fe a documentary feature. That was more of kind of a hobby. Um, but that was difficult because I think that was more difficult because in the end I had to um, get loads of permissions mm -hmm. for some of the images and footage and track people down. And, you know, um, we shot on different cameras and the sound was awful. So I had to kind of rebuild the sound. And that, that project just, it should have been really straightforward, but it ended up being a bit of a nightmare. Um, so I think in comparison, Nine Nights was a bit easier because although I didn't really know what I was doing, at least I knew I was going to make a feature film. So I kind of had that vision already in my mind setting out. Um, and I had really, really good um, script supervisor um, yeah. working with me who had previously worked on The Martian. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, she previously worked on Martian. She was, you know, fantastic, you know, just, you know, kept everybody in line. <laughs> so kind of really helped. Um, so I'm, I'm really cur curious just to hear, uh, like, kind of the, the process and like the first steps from like what, the moment that you decided, no, I'm going to direct this movie. This is my project. I'm going to take this on. Like, what was the first thing you did? Right. So when I made that decision or kind of was pushed into making the decision and I just thought, okay, I thought, okay, I need to learn how to direct. Like, <laughs> so I was just like, okay, so I bought some books and then um, <laughs> I'd read through the books. I was like, oh God, it's, you know, I'd already done. So the thing is I'd already done a producer's course. So I'd already been at UCLA and I'd done a producing course. So I knew I knew about filmmaking, but I hadn't done any really. So I went on a course. I went to Barcelona. There's a really fantastic film school in Barcelona called A, a Film. And I said to them, look, I want to direct this film. Um, and they literally put together a course for me. Um, so I think I was out there for like four or five days and we looked at the scenes and, you know, we did. I did some work with actors and... Um, and then I remember there was a guy I'd met, I think his name is Mark Travis. He worked with actors and he kind of came into the college and he did this little exercise with actors and he was amazing. Just, I always remember him. So I tracked him down and he said he wasn't available. You know, I'd either have to go to LA to do some work with him or he taught at this school in Spain. So that's why I ended up choosing that school in Spain because um, they use his techniques. Um, and then after about five days, I think I was there for four days, I came back and I thought, okay, um, I'm going to make this film. A friend of mine, I said, okay, will you be the associate producer on it? Will you help me? And she was like, fine. Um, we need to get some money together, um, raise a little bit of money. Then I got a producer who was like a proper producer. Um, she said she loved it. She was going to come on board. Um, then we had a couple of meetings. I was all excited. 
and then she disappeared and I was like oh that's not right anyway so um she disappeared <laughs> uh, she got a better paying job um, <laughs> and then I just thought okay I have to um I just there was something in me that and I don't know if it's it's a strange thing but there was something in me that said because I said I was going to do this film and because I'd already told a few people um I couldn't back out it was it was the weirdest thing you know because I just I just wouldn't let myself back out I've told them I'm making this film you know I told my family oh I'm going to make a film and everyone's like oh you know <laughs> so it kind of took on a life of its own and it was just I just could not say oh it's not happening so um so the next step was um to think about getting the rest of the money and ask my friends and family um, I used my savings and then I thought okay I need to get some actors so with my associate producer um, we just started going through spotlight and thinking about what actors we wanted you know and then ringing up agents and saying, Wait, what's oh, spotlight like what is that the spotlight is like an actor's showcase. Um, so you can go on and you can put in your parameters and then you can find actors within a certain age range or playing age. And, you know, so yeah. it makes it just very more, much more straightforward. Um, and then Is that like, like a UK service or is that around the world? I thought it was in America as well. Yeah. Oh, interesting. It's just called Spotlight. Yeah. Um, and I think you can only join if you've got like one credit. So, so you have like one credit as an actor and then you can showcase yourself. Hmm. Um, it's quite good. It's got hundreds and hundreds of actors on it. Um, and I just started hmm. really just, you know, looking at books and looking at what you do next and just making so many mistakes. You know, like I, I rang up an agent and I was like, oh, we're making this film. You know, can we... Would your actor be interested? And they were like, who are you? <laughs> and I was like, that's very rude. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's very rude. And I said, um, you know, I am actually making this film. And they're like, do you have the money? I'm like, yeah, we have, you know, money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and they will send us a script. If the script's any good, you know, and I sk- sent them the script. Um, and then there was a stage where they rang back and they were like, our actor really wants to do it. But by then I'd already thought, she's not quite right for the part and moves on to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> so they were pissing me. It was, oh, that's so funny. yeah, it was just, um, yeah, it was a bit chaotic to say the least. That's the only way I can um, describe it. It was not a, um, you know, calm, streamlined you know, process. It was, it was quite chaotic. It, it never, it, like you say that as if like <laughs> other films are less painful. Um, I want to hear if you, if you, since we're on the topic of casting, I don't know how to say her name, so I'm going to butcher it, but Tania Miller, did I say yes. her name right? Tania I mean, Miller. I'm a, I, I'm obsessed with Mike Flanagan and the haunting of Bly Manor and she's Aww. astounding in that. Yeah. And Will you just tell me how you got to her? Because then I'm just going to do exactly what you did and try to get her for every one of my projects. Well, I actually know her through a friend of mine. Oh my so, God. So, you know, it's kind of like I knew, <laughs> seen her around. Um, and I, I didn't really think about approaching her at first because I just thought, 
even though I kind of, you know, I know her through a friend, I didn't want to seem really unprofessional or whatever. So I found out who her agent was and contacted the agent. And then I got a message to her saying, look, I've told your agent about this project. Um, will you at least read the script? Um, because I really want her to place, I had her in my mind like for a long time. Um, and she was super busy. Joe Martin was actually in a play every evening as well as shooting. And mm -hmm. Tania Miller was actually shooting something else. So the scheduling was horrendous um, in terms of, you know, she could do like four hours here and cars picking up and dropping off and everything else. Um, but she wow. agreed to do it. Um, and I was just like, okay, I really got up my game now. These are professional actors. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, she was amazing. Mm. You know, and the thing is, Tania Miller and Joe Martin, they know each other, like they've worked together before, so they have a shorthand. Um, so a lot of the time when we were talking about some of the pages, you know, and I was saying, well, this is what I want and this is kind of how I'm seeing it. And then we did a lot of improvisation, um, you know, in terms of meeting the emotional mark of each scene. Um, and they always gave me extra. So it was just really, for me, just amazing watching the professionals do what they do. Um, I, you know, especially being like first time director, you know, I wouldn't, you know, we'd have discussions, you know, but if they would work out certain things, they'd work out certain, you know, I'll say this and I'll take that line that sounds more like my character. And then we'd talk about it and be like, yeah, they know what they're doing, they're experienced, let them get on with it. You know, I was just like, <laughs> you think that's the best? Okay. Um, so they were a real joy to work with. Uh, yeah. And I'd, yeah, I'd love to work with her again. So um, I have a couple of questions, but this one's kind of in line with the, the working with the actors, um, you know, thing we were just talking about. So like, I want to just hear about when you got to set and when you're actually directing this film, like what was some of the biggest um, hurdles or struggles you had to overcome as a first time director, kind of just walking into this, you know, um, for the first time? Gosh, right. So there was a lot. Um... So the, fir <clears throat> the first scene was in a hospital. So we'd hired this hospital um, and it would all be done on the phone and my production um, assistant had organized it all on the phone. And then we, I think we were going to jump on the tube and get there because we wanted to be there like an hour early. And then I don't know why somebody said, let's drive, you know, let's just drive. And it was like, oh, I think we should just get on the tube. But anyway, we ended up driving and we ended up being late, which is a cardinal no-no. So we were late for the very first day um, of the shoot um, because we couldn't find anywhere to park. So because of the way it is structured, I knew, I brought on the DP. He brought on um, Emily, who's uh, had the camera equipment. And then Emily brought on a sound person. So I hadn't met everybody. Um, I think we'd had phone conversations, but I hadn't met them. Um, and so what, the first day on set, I walked in to, onto the set and nobody knew who I was, really. So they were just uh, talking, some of them were bitching, oh, she's late, <laughs> all this stuff. And I thought, you know what, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna actually get a measure of these people before I say I'm the director. I'm just gonna see how they interact and, you know, just, just kind of, I know I'm late, I know it's cardinal, 
but let me just so I spent about half an hour just kind of like hanging around in this room you know where (laughs) 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 where they were like you know and all of this and then I just said okay ready to go you know what I mean and they were like oh my god it's you you're you're the director (laughs) um and then you know there was a lot to overcome you know I think in terms of you know, me being a woman, me being a black woman, me doing the first feature when they didn't know who I was. Um, there wasn't like a huge body of shorts to look at. You know, they didn't have a lot of confidence in me, to be honest. I mean, they were just, you know, um, and plus I was late. So I think the first <laughs> the first couple of hours were just not, um, you know, I wouldn't um, advise anybody to kind of go in like that. But for me, I think, because it was my first film and because of how I work, I work, I'm very kind of intuitive. I like to know who I'm working with. I like to know what they really like as well. Um, You know, it was very much, okay, let's ease in gently. So it was like, okay, let's grab coffees. You know, I know we've lost a bit of time, but we'll make it up. Don't worry about that. You know, let's just have a little chat let's just chill out you know I didn't want to go in kind of you know like that because that's that's (laughs) my personality um and then you know we worked you know the first scenes which I think are some of the most beautiful um because we were very gentle with setting everything up and you know we spent a lot of time on the color and the dp and we experimented a little bit. So the first day, I think everyone thought, oh, well, this is not too bad. This is, you know, quite chill. This is, you know, easy. And I was like, nah, <laughs> that's the first day. That's just day one. Um, and then it was a case of a lot of people having a lot of opinions, you know, and what I quickly realised is that a lot, sometimes on set, and this is just from my little experience, sometimes on set, people can be quite, um, they can be quite individualistic, mm-hmm. but also there's this thing about, you know, how, how come she's making a film and I should be making a film? You know, I've got more experience. I've been in the game longer. You know, how is, how is she making this film? So there's a little bit of resistance there. Um, and I felt that, quite keenly um so it took me about I would say by the third day um because my script supervisor she was like you need to find your voice you need to you know you need to stamp your authority on this set um so by the third day I was kind of like okay I know what I'm doing I'm in my groove then I just started letting rip <laughs> away <laughs> I started being much more um, you know, authoritarian, you know, one of the things that kind of helped me is that I had a very, very clear vision. And what I noticed was that because people thought, oh, she's new, she doesn't know what she's doing, that I didn't have a vision. Like they really, like they didn't understand that even though I hadn't been making films forever, I still had a very strong idea of what I wanted it to look like. Um, you know, the set dressing, I think people thought they could get away with not, you know, I think people didn't really understand the level that I was working at. 
Um, and by day three, they understood the levels that I work at. Like we don't have a lot of money, but we're gonna squeeze every inch out of every coin, out of every scenario, out of every set. You know, um, I really, really pushed them, you know, and we had this, and it became a bit of a thing with the crew, do you know what I mean? So we set up, you know, we'd rehearse the scene, you know, then everybody, you know, would like watch the scene, would call everybody in, everybody would watch the scene, you know, and then we'll be like, okay, we need to fine tune this scene. How can we improve it? You know, do we need to move that light? Do we need to move that lamp? Do we need to, so, you know, so people felt like they had an input into it and it'd be like, okay, run the scene. But every scene, um, you know, we doubled down on the lighting. We, you know, we just, you know, nothing was just quickly set up and go, you know, and I think in the first couple of days, they thought that's the kind of film we were going to make because it's a low budget film. They just thought we were just going to set up and go, you know, just fling some lights up. And, and I was just like, okay, <laughs> this, is not, this is not how I work, you know, because we are actually going for excellence, you know, and excellence in all areas. So there was no room for, um, no room for slacking. And I think by day three, everybody was on board. Um, but the first two days were a bit of a nightmare. Um, I have like, just like Arik probably, I have like 45 questions, but this is the one I'm choosing to ask. Um, <laughs> uh, usually in scenarios that you're describing, lower budget, limited days, um, first time director, you feel like something gets squeezed out or something gets sacrificed. Um, and it sounds like you're really pushing to avoid those pitfalls, right? The fast, good, easy triangle, right? Is it fast, good, yes. no, fast, good, cheap, the fast, yes. good, cheap triangle. Do yes. you, did, did anything get sacrificed? Um, there was one scene. Yeah. There was one, one day shoot. We kind of lost, um, because we had, I really wanted to see, the characters climbing up this, we found this amazing, um, it was like a metal stair that went up above the sports ground. So they were supposed to play the scene from really high up looking over the side mm-hmm. um, and having this um, conversation about um, where have you been and all of that. Um, but on the day it rained, like it rained, torrential rain. Um, and it was a spiral Mm-hmm. And the cameraman was like, I can't, we can't, you know, we can't get up there. It's not safe to get up there. It's not safe to, you know, we can't, you know. So then we spent a lot of time trying to find somewhere else to play that scene. And in the end, we had to play it on a little mound, like a little hill. <laughs> and then we had to lie <laughs> down <laughs> on the floor to make it look a little bit higher. And we just played it on this little mound. Um, and it was kind of, it was disappointing you know, it was really disappointing that we couldn't get that scene. Um, but I don't think the film suffers that much because by the time we shot it, it was getting dark and then we had the lights behind us. So mm-hmm. that wasn't planned, but we had the city lights behind us and it kind of really helped with the scene. So I think it, it worked out that it was, it, it looked good. It wasn't what I imagined at all. Um, but we had to um, that day and we didn't get enough of them running for the race because it rained. 
um so that yeah we lost a lot um so I'm, I'm really curious because like the description what you described for your set was a lot how, like how my set went I mean not like the, the whole confidence thing and because I've made a bunch of shorts and my crew all knew me really well but the thing that we happened was like the DP. So it wasn't me driving it. It was the DP driving this amount of like in crazy amount of detail for everything. And we had this really that tight schedule. And like, it's like, we're doing all these long setups, everything's fine tuning, taking forever. And then we were like always behind every day. Um, So for you, like, how did you guys handle that? Did you end up like going long a lot? Did you have to cut scenes? Like, how did you now, or did you just get the scene done in time? Like, how did it work out on your end? There were, I would say there were one, two, there were three scenes that we spent too long on um, and they didn't make it into the film. <laughs> um, and it was just like, we did, there was one where we wanted to do like a, um, like a, an a, a extra wide, I mean, it was just, and then there was all cutting it together to make it look, so we got this really wide shot. Um, And we spent half a day on that, I think. And then we had to dump dump that. That was the DP. And then there was like another tricky shot, you know, smoke coming. You know, so we, so we, there was some, there was another scene that we dumped. So we actually ended up, I think, there were about seven scenes that we had to dump that we just wow. couldn't do. Um, and then what happened was um, just thinking in terms of the story. Okay. A couple of times we had to collapse scenes. So two scenes into one, mm-hmm. um, which in some cases helped in terms of the subtext, you know, um, we're driving the story forward, but now we've got some subtext in this scene, which makes it into something else. Um, but the whole time was racing to kind of catch up, um, stay on. We didn't work, we, I think we only worked late um, t- two nights. I think we only worked late twice. Um, oh, good for you. Yeah, the crew were very much like, we're not working late. Uh, yeah. And it was, you know, cause it was a lot, it, and I understand that, um, but it was, a lot of it was really racing, you know, and it's like, okay, we've got these three scenes. Do we need these three scenes? Okay, if we get the two, we can get, we can get away without getting the third scene or let's collapse these two together and then we can get this one. But we did, wow. you know, we did lose, you know, I think of those shots and they're beautiful shots, but they <laughs> didn't make it into the film and it took time. Yeah. Same thing happened to me. I spent like at least six hours on a scene that we like completely cut from the movie and, and, and not just one, like probably three or four, you know, and then we, but we cut like eight scenes that we couldn't shoot that I probably would have used if I had known which ones to switch out. It's all insane, but you know, that's just filmmaking, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. But you have these beautiful scenes somewhere. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you, both of you are, I mean, all three of us are writer directors. So you were able to, not you didn't have to outsource the job of rewriting or folding two scenes into one right but you also like was that early mornings late nights you're like off you know in your I don't know if you even had a green room or if you're just in your director's chair just like rewriting the scene on set I didn't even have a chair (laughs) (laughs) director's chair (laughs) 
a luxury. Wow. No, I was, li- I was in my bedroom where the printer was. Um, <laughs> and that was a green room as well. Um, so the actors, the main actors were in the bedroom and I would be printing off, going through the script, and saying, everyone, I want your scripts. Do you know what I mean? And scrap wow. that, get your scripts back. And You were distributing? You were script distribution too? Oh, of course. It's <laughs> 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 only small, you know, like it was a small location. So, you know, I had to make sure because, you know, like if you change something, you know, everybody needs to know that it's changed. You know, so the easiest way is I'm changing this. Everybody open up page, do you know what I mean? Changing this. <laughs> and they'd be like, okay, everyone got it? That's out. Okay. Well, um, when we first, so you and I first yeah. talked a few weeks ago, right? Yeah. And I I felt like that, there, I it felt like a different conversation. Let me just be candid because you were talking about um, your hesitance to direct and how you kind of caught the bug, but like there was like a little bit more of a conservative tone to our conversation yeah. before. And now hearing you talk about directing, you seem like you're swept up in the world of directing and that you love it. Like, what is that evolution for you? I, I wouldn't say I was swept up. I think, I think it's this, um, is a more relaxed environment than when I was talking to you before. Yeah. And I think before, <laughs> this is fair, more relaxed. Very fair. Yeah. Um, so I, can, I feel like I can be more in, talk about the nitty gritty, you know, and the questions that you're asking are to do with, you know, the nitty gritty. I mean, I, I think as a director, um, you know, like it, like it did take me a long time to think of myself as a director. Um, but what I've always had is the vision. Like I've never thought of myself as a director, but growing up, I was plonked in front of the TV. You know, I've seen everything. I feel like I've seen, you know, like people say, oh yeah, do you remember that 19? Oh yeah, I've seen it. You know, I watched a lot of TV, you know, and a lot of films. Um, So I've, I've always had a vision. I can see, I'm very good at seeing, um, you know, what I write and then, also what other people pitch to me sometimes they'll pitch like somebody pitched something to me the other day and I was like oh that's a cross between that and that and they're like oh my god nobody has said that and I'm like but that was really big in the early 90s and then that came later and then she'd been pitching it to all of these studios and and nobody had mentioned these two you know and I was just like how can you have not seen these things because people had lives you know (laughs) (laughs) You know, so, so I wouldn't say that I'm massively confident as a director, but I would say that if I was going to direct anything, I would do a good job because I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it on unless I was confident. Mm. And because I'm not inherently confident, I do so much work around it to make sure. And I think that's my approach, really, um, just to make sure, you know, the vision is, is you know, is realised. And that it's not just my thing is I don't want to, I don't want to make something that's just kind of, I mean, I'm sure nobody does, but it's just too much time and energy and effort. It ha- my thing is it has to look beautiful. And especially with black people on film, they have to look beautiful. I want everybody to look healthy and well-lit. And, you know, I just, that was one of my things as well. 
I don't want to be the one that they go, oh my God, that film that, oh my God, everyone looks terrible in it. Because black communities, that's what they were saying, everybody, terrible. <laughs> you got, you know. Um, so yeah, certain things I do think a lot about. So, so I want to go back to those first three days where, you know, you didn't have the confidence of the crew yet because we've, we've heard this from other women directors in the past and like one specifically who like basically felt like she never got that respect that she needed all throughout her whole shoot. And so I think it's really important to like just kind of dig into that a little bit. Like, was it just that you were starting to like really lead the 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 train or the lead the team and like you know be really clear about direction or was did you have to like pull anyone aside and have a talk with them about like what was going on like yeah you know I mean I had people bitching about me behind my back they didn't know that um about you the world's sweetest human like that's so weird to me (laughs) (laughs) they were like where is she what is she, what is she, I'm, I really like French films, so I was talking about long takes and this and that, and what does she, what does she think she's doing? Do you know I mean? Oh, it's going to look shit, you know, and they didn't know that the person who was providing all the food and doing all of this, like, wonderful catering was my sister, um, so. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you had spies on the inside. <laughs> so I'll be like, hmm, and she'd be like, hmm, I heard so-and-so say such and such, and I was like, really? And then it was just all this, you know, you could tell it was mostly men. It was all men. All right, let me just be honest. It was all men, you know, and one of them was like, oh, this is a shit job. You know, I could be earning more money somewhere else. So I said, well, if you don't like it, you can fuck off. And he was like, what? I said, that's right. I said, um, get your stuff, get going. I can get someone else to replace you. And he was like, no, I didn't mean that. I said, well, you said it. And then he said, um, well, um, and I said, do you have anything else to say to me, to my face? <laughs> and he was just like, well, you know, I'm not happy. I think he wasn't happy with, I can't remember what it was, but he, he, he made a couple of mistakes and I picked up on them. And I said, like, I'm not quite sure, but I think those are mistakes. Do you know what I mean? So when you're talking about me behind my back and everything else, just focus on what you're supposed to be doing, you know, and then everyone's good. And so he kind of backed down and because he was the most vocal um, and he backed down, everybody else was like, oh, okay, if he's staying, then we're going to afford him, you know, we'll, we'll stay. He was very, you know, it, 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 you know, it was basically, it was basically young men who were just like, well, we should be directing, you know, if we were doing it, we'd do a better job. You know, why is she doing that shot? That's a bit of boring shot. You know, what you know, it was all this kind of thing. You know, they wanted mm. it to be kind of, you know, tricky shots and you know, they just had a different idea of the film, I think. And I just was very clear that even if nobody watches the film, which I didn't really care about, I was just like, I'm making the film because I said I was gonna make it. I want it to be a film with a lot of space in it you know, a lot of space, mm. you know, so don't rush, you know, stop, stop rushing, you know, and then, and then, like I said, my amazing script supervisor who pulled me aside and said, you have to, you have to find your voice, you have to, you know, and then when I did start finding my voice, she was like, <laughs> 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 giving me, give me the thumbs up, 
And then wow. there was actually a massive argument between the script supervisor and the DP. So, um, and it was about um, one particular shot and crossing the line and it, it all got ah. a bit kind of t- technical. Um, and both of them said that they would quit <laughs> if the other wow. person would, you know, it got a bit like that. Um, you know, and then, at, you know, just, we decided that for the sake of the film, you know, what we would do is we'll try one way quickly, we'll try another way quickly, and then we'll go the right way. Mm. You know, so that, so there was a lot of that happening. Um, yeah, but definitely I, I, I managed to impose, yeah, impose is a strong word. I think grudgingly, and I think it is grudgingly, they became, they became more respectful um, because they could see that I had an idea of what I wanted to achieve, but they could also see what I wouldn't accept. And so, like I said before, you know, the standards were high. And once they started to realise that it wasn't just a matter of just doing X, Y and Z, then they kind of thought, OK, you know, um, let's let's go for the best. Uh, it's just, I don't even know how I did it. You know, when I finished filming, I cut all my hair off. <laughs> <laughs> I cut all my hair wow. off. Oh my god! You just want to liberate yourself from yes, from something. <laughs> yes, yes. We had a rap party. You know, I got drunk, fell in the hedge, and then cut my hair off. <laughs> <laughs> well. I have to really commend you for uh, confronting um, people directly because that's a really hard thing to do. And uh, very few people actually do that. You know, they'll, they'll go a different route normally. And I think that's probably what earned you the respect was you just being very straightforward and being direct with people and not taking this bullshit, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I had to, because we didn't have time, you know, like we, we just didn't have time for it, you know? And I'm always thinking like you know, I don't care if you stay or go, but just make a decision. You know, if you go, fine. In my head, I'm already thinking, okay, I've got to call this one, I've got to call that one, I've got to call that one, I need someone for tomorrow. So I don't really have time to, you know, and that's how I kind of was pushing through, you know, um, you know, always ready with a, with a plan B. You know, there was a stunt that we wanted to do and we were kind of, you know, totally inept. I was like, oh, you know, and the actors were all up for doing this stunt. You know, didn't have a stunt person. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but... Um, <laughs> you know? And then we were trying to do this stunt, and then somebody said, actually, you can't do this. You know, you, you can't just do a stunt like this. Um, and it was like, oh, okay. Um, okay, plan B. How are we going to make it look as if we're doing a stunt when we're not doing the stunt? And it was like, no, we need to scrap it. We're not scrapping it. We are going to find a plan B. You know, we are going to, um, and you know, we did. So, and it was, it was that thing of always thinking ahead. You know, somebody says, oh, as soon as somebody says, oh, we can't, or, you know, this might be, I'm already thinking the next thing. Mm. You know, because otherwise we're going to stop. And one thing, well, you know, you know what I mean? When you're doing the film, one thing you can't do is just stop. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know. 
I wanted to ask about, I mean, I feel like we've focused so much on production that I want to make sure we get a little bit of marketing and distribution in here. And hearing you talk about the film and then watching the trailer, I think this, there's something really interesting putting forth here where the trailer feels a little bit supernatural, a little bit of a thriller, like a kind of tuning up the genre elements. Um, and I just want to know if that was by design or is the film is the film like that? Was you, were you thinking in marketing and I'm going to expand anything that could be quote unquote marketable or was your, was your goal to just reflect the film in its entirety? I didn't even think about marketing. Like this is not, this is do not take my advice <laughs> on this. I didn't even, I didn't think about marketing. I didn't think about um, where the film was going to go or who was going to see the film. Um, the person who, um, my editor, um, Liz Webb, who's passed away now, um, she passed away in, in COVID times. Um, she was amazing. You know, she, she was absolutely amazing. She said, I'm going to cut a trailer, you know, and it's going to be really good. And I was like, all right, you know, go ahead. And she cut the trailer. Um, and then we, the music wasn't right. She used like a, you know, place holder music but she cut the trailer and she's like this is the best you know showing the best of the film and I really loved it um the composer Aaron Desi was amazing she's actually the first person who came onto the project because we met in Cannes and we were both really miserable and tired and just you know I've had it with these people nobody wants to know anything about me or my projects and I was like fine I'm going home um and so we talked about my film. We were both leaving that day, I think, later on that day. And she said, I will score your film. She said, whenever you're ready, you know, whenever you get, you know, don't think about money or whatever, but as soon as you know you're going to do the film, I will score it. So she's the first person who came on. So when she did the, the score, which I just, I love to bits, then when we put that with the trailer, it just worked. And I wow. didn't have any idea about improving or, you know what I mean? I didn't think about that. I just thought I liked the trailer, it works. So I just want to hear a little bit about what happened like when the movie was done. Like, did you play a bunch of film festivals? Did you get what kind of distribution did you get for the film? Like, where did it end up? Like, talk to us about that process. So, so the film was finished. Um, I'm trying to think. So we finished the film. We finished the film in 2018 and then we went in and shot a couple of other scenes to put in. So, so and then I entered it into a few film festivals, um, didn't hear anything back. And then towards the end of 2018, I was like, well, okay, that's that then. Done the film, nobody's interested in it. Okay, fine. Um, and then a friend of mine said, have you entered it into this Pan-African film festival? And I was like, no, that's not one of the ones I spent. I didn't even have a budget for film festivals, but I put it in. I put it into a few festivals and got no's. But I said, you know what? Let me put it into the Pan African Film Festival. Put it into the festival. Didn't hear anything back. And then I think it was Christmas Eve or Christmas, the night of Christmas Day. I got an email saying your film has been accepted. Wow. And I was just like. Wow, and they were like, we'd like you to come to LA. I love LA. And I was just like, oh my God. And then, so that was in February, the festival was in February. 
Um, and then I think I'd entered it into another one. But in February, when I went to LA, I was planning to stay at the film festival. It was amazing. It's a fantastic film festival. And it was amazing to see the film in a proper cinema with the name up. You know, like when you go to cinema, you see coming, you know, I just was so excited. Anyway, I was planning to go back on a Saturday and they kept saying to me, why don't you stay until the Sunday? You're going to miss the breakfast. And I'm like, ah, it's breakfast, isn't it? I can't afford to stay another night in the hotel. And then plus changing the flight's going to be expensive. And they said, just try. I rang up to change the flight. And they were like, yeah, sure, no problem. We'll do it for like $100, which never happens. So I changed <laughs> the flight and I thought, okay, I can enjoy the breakfast and I can say a proper goodbye to everyone. And then the film won an award. So they wanted me to stay because... <laughs> they were being sneaky. They were being sneaky. So I sat there at the breakfast award ceremony and I didn't even hear the title being called out because I was like, you know, eating croissants. And this is really interesting. And watching everybody else go up and everything. Uh... And then they, they were like, that's you. And I was like, what's me? And they said, nine nights, that's yours, isn't it? And I was like, oh my God. And then they kind of went up and I was in a daze. And then, then there was a bit on some TV thing, I think, in LA. And then after that, I got accepted into a couple of other film festivals. And then I got um, some sales agents contacting me. Um, and then that whole process took a long time because not only am I, um, I can be quite indecisive, um, but also because I didn't know which way to go. And I didn't really have anyone to give me advice. Do you know what I mean? In terms of which sales agent is a good one or not a good one, yeah. you know? So then I spoke to them and I went on my gut feeling. I was like, he seems, you know, I go on my gut feeling. And then I got distribution offers. I got about, I think about seven or eight um, distribution offers or distribution companies, no minimum guarantee. Um, and then again, so then it was a process of going through each one, you know, seeing how I felt about them, looking at what they've done, you know, getting a vibe from them. And then I just thought, you know what, I've just, it, honestly, it went on for months. They were getting so irate with me because they were like, you've got to make a decision. You've got to go with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was saying, it doesn't matter. You're not going to, you know, first film, you're not really going to make any money anyway, but you've still got to go with someone. Um, and in the end, I narrowed it down to two. And then I just said, did a lot of thinking and reflecting and all kinds of stuff. And then I just chose one. 1091? Really, really nice. Yeah, 1091 with random oh, nice. media. Yeah, and they're just so nice. On the phone, you know, what, I, what really did it for me was that they were really friendly. They were real. You know, they talked about the dog and, you know what I mean? And it was just, <laughs> it was just nice. Well, some of the other ones were, were a bit kind of hard sell. Um, yeah, so I didn't, so I ended up getting distribution. So it's on Amazon now and it's on, um, it was Apple TV, you know, it's on all, all of the platforms and everything. Um, but it was, you know, um, there was a podcast and if I could remember the name, I would really recommend it. There was a podcast where they talked about distribution and I listened to that podcast, um, and they really gave good advice, um, it's an American couple, but I just, I could not find a lot of advice about what to do, which way to go. 
Um, so I think, I, I, but I think I have made the right decision um, with random media in 1091. So, but it That's was awesome. hard work. <laughs> <Sad>. <laughs> I think it's time for our final five questions, Auric. One more. I have to ask one more because yeah. there's this thing that I, I, I hear all the time. So whenever filmmakers are asking about me for advice, like, oh, I'm going to make my first feature. Uh, oh, how did you get your producer? Where'd you find your producer? Who is your producer? It's always about the producer. And I think it's really interesting that like you got a producer on your movie and then they left. Right. And the advice I always give everybody is like, forget the producer, make your own movie yourself because that's how it starts. And then maybe you'll find a producer later, maybe you won't, but you have to do it yourself. So the question is, when you lost your producer, what was the first hurdle you overcame to like keep the train moving and like get your movie actually made? I made a couple of calls, email, and there was no response. Um, I was just like, all right, just keep moving. I literally did not spend a day. Um, I just thought I'm just going to carry on. I would say if you're going to make a film and you've got some money, because this producer didn't bring the money, that's a really important thing to say. She didn't bring the money. Um, and that was me thinking, okay, well, I've raised some money and everything else, but I'm not confident. I need a producer. Mm. Um, but if you've got some money, and you, can, and you can start the process, you know, like you've reached out to some actors maybe, the script has got to be good, you know, and there's a bit of traction behind it, then you will get a producer that wants to come on board. Um, my feeling is that people want to get on board projects that are moving. You know, if there's some momentum, if there's something, then people, you know, we're human, we're kind of like, oh, this is exciting, it's, you know, it might happen, I want to get on board. You know, and I think one of the things we do as filmmakers um, is we have a, a project and then we stop because we're waiting for somebody else, you know, to pick us up or choose us, scoop us up, you know, and that, that's why I spent so many years um, with my script just sitting there because I was waiting for somebody else to make it, you know, and I, I you know, I think about how many years, you know, that I just was waiting. Um, you know, so there is something about if you're a writer-director and you've been told your, your script is good by a third party, you know, like somebody else has said it's good, um, and you can start to see it and see the actors, you know, have conversations. I think you can start the train yourself, you know, and then reach out to some producers, but, but you start it. You know, don't let the producer be the one to kind of be driving everything. And this might be really terrible advice, but I think my personality is that I've found out that sitting and waiting doesn't work for me. Beautiful. I think that's Perfect. beautiful advice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right, the first question in our final five, you've was pretty much the past hour, but let's let's just ask it anyway, because oh, it's always funny. fun to see if there's another, I know, so sorry. Um, what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? Um, I wish I had more locations. Yeah, and I think, I think really the one thing, I wish I had more running scenes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love, 
Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, sorry. No, 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 I think that's one thing. I was like, there should be more running in it. <laughs> that, that's like such a director answer. I, I felt the same way after my first short film. I was like, this is, I need, di- I need to be dynamic. I need more locations. I don't have enough locations. Yeah. This looks like a play. What the heck's going on? Um, <laughs> what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Um, I would say, um, and I will name check Yolanda, Yolanda Torres, because she was one who said to me, just do it. Um, and I think that's the best advice. Like, what have you got to lose? Just do it. Um, it could be terrible. <laughs> it depends on different circumstances. But for me, I think it was what I needed to hear. Um, you know, just do it. What are your goals as a storyteller? Like whether it's as a writer, as a director, what are you, what are you trying to achieve in the next few years? I want to, um, so like the stories that I really love are um, stories about, um, eh, there's a lot of dysfunctional family stuff in them. Do you know what I mean? And there's a lot of supernatural, um, otherworldly spiritual stuff. That's, what I really like doing um, and I'm developing a TV series um, and I've got another film project which is a bit meditative so I feel like my films are going to be slower and slower <laughs> which might be a nightmare for some people but um, <laughs> I think I, I want to like I love 40s films you know I love 40s films I love French film I love that slow aesthetic so mm. I think I want to make films that are timeless you know that people can just dip in and out and they're not particularly rooted in any kind of pop culture they're just stories that you can go oh okay you know I like this journey I like this this character's journey and at the end of it I feel better as a person you know I feel more love or more compassion um, for us as humans you know, I think I think that's for me. That's that's what it feels like it's about. You know, at the end of watching it, you kind of go, you know, like humans, we're not that bad. We can be good people. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? Mm, I think. Well, I, I definitely feel that I couldn't have made the film any earlier because I was even less confident when I was younger. Um, but I think the one advice would be um, more preparation for the film. I think more, more preparation. Um, yeah, more preparation. And, and also just to have have confidence you know it's 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 something that you know I think a lot of women but I know that I've struggled with confidence um so I would say more belief in myself that's the one thing more belief in myself I definitely am more confident than I was before um yeah so that advice that kind of the advice I would give is that you've got this creative urge in your mind you've got this you've got it 
it's already there. You just got to bring it, bring it out, you know, and, and nobody's better than you. They might be more technically able than you or more experienced than you or have more success than you. But when it comes to the kernel of what your idea and your creativity, you know, um, just think that you've already got it. You've got that creativity. That's what I would say. Last question. Is making movies hard? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> My hair's grown back, so that's really good. <laughs> My hair grows fast. Um, you know, I think it, making movies is really, really hard. Like, I can't even believe I'd, I've done it. It's really, really hard. But the, the, the thrill of seeing, and particularly with my family, they don't know what I do. They're like, what is she doing? But to see the film on screen that your family are watching your film, you can't beat that. You know, you absolutely can't beat that feeling. Um, so for me, it's hard, but that bit, you know, having my family watch the film, I go, oh, it's a my actual stepdad said, oh, it's a proper film. <laughs> oh, man, that's amazing. And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> Sell your wares. Um, where can people find you and support you and see your film? So it's called Nine Nights. It's on Amazon, on Apple. Actually, if you go to my website, I've got a new website. So this is something I've been working on. See, multi veronicamckenzie.com then there's a link there where you can see um, the film um, and then other bits and pieces that I'm doing as well like I'm big into history and historical projects so there's bits bits around that as well um, but yeah thank you I've enjoyed this thank you thank we did you. too I've never yeah. seen Ulrich more engaged in a podcast ever <laughs> I, I really haven't Ulrich what do you remember about talking with B. So it was very interesting because she's a writer at heart. That's like where she started, right. you know, and she kind of grew into a filmmaker kind of while making her first feature, which was really kind of amazing to hear. Uh, but what really struck me about her was like how she just didn't t take any shit from anyone <laughs> and like how she was like making this feature, didn't have any experience. Like she even told this story about how she showed up late on her first day and then she was there and she was like listening to all the crew talk shit about her and be like, why is the director late? Who is this person? She's never made a movie before and she's late. Oh gosh. And she's just like tracking, tracking and like picking it up. And then she introduces herself to everybody. <laughs> I was like, wow, what a, what a crazy like power play move of some kind, or I don't know what that is, but it was really amazing. And then just to hear her stories of like confronting crew members and like, you know, really basically gaining their trust in a short amount of time. Like she said by day three or something yeah. that they, she had them like, you know, like on board with her vision and with her film. And that's a pretty amazing thing to do because I've seen it happen where like it never happens. <laughs> like they don't have trust and the trust pretty much never gets there <laughs> like through a whole project. So that was, that was really awesome. Um, yeah. I don't know. What did, what did you remember Liz? I remember hearing that story and thinking, I would be one of those crew people who would be bitching about our director being late to the first day of the shoot <laughs> and that she probably wouldn't like me because that is like uh, time is my love language. And I would would think that her being late would be some sort of reflection of her lack of care for the film. Um, but I would have been wrong because clearly the 
is a born filmmaker and I love seeing her coming, hearing her, hearing her because I wasn't there, hearing her come into her own power. And I'm excited for to see what she makes next because it's going to be even better. Yeah, absolutely. And she's so charming and she's so yeah. like um, passionate and smart. I don't know. I think this is like one of my better favorite conversations. So I hope people liked it as much oh. as I did. Um, but Ulrich, soap dish. I'm Lori Craven, and I'm an actress. An actress? Really? How nice for you. I'm Betsy Faye Sharon, and I'm a bitch. Okay, Liz, it happened. The alternate premiered last weekend at Dances with Films, and I just have to say it went fantastically well. Um, thanks to everyone who came out. We had almost roughly 100 people in the audience, great. which is like pretty incredible for a midnight screening during COVID. I mean, it's kind of incredible no matter what the circumstances are. Like having that many people come out to um, to a, a film festival screening is like fantastic. And one of my investors was like, told me, he's like, I was shocked at how many people were there. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, I tried really hard, damn it, to get people to come. So, you know, I guess I succeeded. And and also the shout out to, to Graham High, who's the, the short filmmaker who's short you know, played before the feature. He he brought a good amount of people too. So we kind of had like similar sized crews um, that we brought to the movie. And then there was like a bunch of the people who just go to the film festival anyways and a bunch of other filmmakers who came. Like I hung out in the lounge a, a, a couple times and like met some people and were like, hey, come to my movie. <laughs> it's playing tonight. Um, and, then, uh, and then I went to one block of shorts um, at midnight the night before. So, like, I got to see a lot of those shorts and then meet some of those short filmmakers and, and you know, got a couple of those guys to come to. So it was it was just a really great experience overall. Um, people said lots of nice things. The ending got the reaction I was looking for. Um, pretty much great. So you're not about um, to throw up every five seconds now. You feel like you've... No. The nervousness is gone. Yeah, I mean, it's just one out of 10 film festivals so far. But yeah, the nervousness is gone. And I feel like more comfortable going into to the other ones. Um, I'm probably not going to be at, in person at one um, for, I don't know, like at least, uh, yeah, I guess just under a month maybe. Mm-hmm. But still, it's like, yeah, I don't know. It just it just takes the, the edge off because like, you know, people liked it, you know, and you know that it works. Yeah. It's like, OK, it did work. It didn't fail. <laughs> People liked the movie. Um, and I got a lot of like compliments on the, the timing and everything, um, which was really fun, too. The timing? Um, what, what do you mean by the timing? Like the, like the pacing oh, of the movie. the editing. Yeah, like the editing and like the way the story evolved and everything. And I worked really hard on pacing to like make it really tight and not to like not to waste time. And uh, I even like cut out a lot of stuff that I sometimes wonder if I should have left in. And then I like even like really like snipped scenes down to like really like keep the flow going. And some of them I cringe at to myself because I'm like, ah, oh, that feel it feels cut down, you know, but then I feel like the audience didn't notice because okay. if, if they did, they wouldn't have said those things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, but shout out to like the Perez brothers who came out. They have never been on the show. They should be on the show. These guys are a couple, um, it's a di- another directing duo from the Bay Area. They're really, really talented. Uh, but they, they live in Los Angeles now. So they came. Andrew Schrader came, who's, uh, you know, uh, old host of the show and like multi-time guest of the show. Um, 
our editor, Cameron Caves, came. Cameron! Last minute. Oh, my God. He just showed up. He, like... He like just called me and he was like, "Yeah, I'm 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 in Los Angeles. I don't know where I'm going." <laughs> I like had to, I had to talk him in, um, but yeah, it was great to meet him in person and awesome to have his support. Um, and then yeah, just a lot of people showed up. I mean, Brett and Drew Pierce, who were on the show, came, and that was awesome to see those guys. Um, and Ian Nelms emailed me to apologize for not coming because he like wanted to come, but he couldn't because he was out of town. But like, I mean, just a lot of support and a lot of love from the community. So I really appreciate it. And guess who else I met in person for the very first time? Jeanette Bloom. <gasps> Jeanette Bloom. I know. It was amazing. And uh, I only got to talk to her for like five minutes because it was like right at the end. Of the, it was like 2.30 a.m. We're like getting kicked out of the, the venue or whatever. But uh but she was very cool, and it was very awesome to put a face to the name and everything and to all the emails that she writes us. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming out, Jeanette. And I didn't get to see her movie because it played earlier on in the festival, but she had a movie at Dances, too, which was awesome. Um, oh, and completely random. Like, this is, like, more of an inside thing for us. But a woman, Paula Rhodes, you know, pitched us to get on the show for her film um, da- uh, that played at Dances. It's a Delicate feature. State. It- yeah, it got Best um, Audience Award or something. Yeah, the, the the Audience Award for Fusion Feature. So, well, wow, congratulations my to her. My client, the film New Year, won honorable mention for Grand Jury Prize. So Ooh, I wanted to shout out very to New cool. Year because I'm awesome. proud of them. Nice, yeah. So, I mean, all in all, like, I have nothing but really fantastic things to say about dances. Like, yeah. it was a really great festival. Um, it was run really well. They really care about filmmakers. They have like a filmmakers lounge where they give you free booze <laughs> and just like let you hang out there every every night basically of the whole festival except the I guess it's Sunday night. Sunday is the last night they don't they do they don't do it. But they did it, you know, Saturday night right before my screening. Um, and yeah, just a lot of love. You could tell people come year after year to that festival like filmmakers and, you know, attendees and uh yeah, they have a really good spirit and a really good thing going. So I would highly recommend them to other filmmakers, you know, um, special, special little film festival, I'll say. Um, um, go ahead. Well, I just I don't know if there's anything else to say after that. I was just going to move on to You've Got Mail. But is there anything else that you want to share? I, I, I did have a question. Um, I started to write, but I didn't finish it. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm just wondering, like. Like, like, what's next? Like, you play your festival, you have your world premiere, like, you've got your other movies, like, your other, your other um, screenings that you have going, going on or coming up. I mean, is it just rinse, repeat? Is there other things that filmmakers should be thinking about, like, once their, 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 their screening happens? Like, what's, uh, what's next for a filmmaker in this position? Yeah, I mean, like, I, for those who listen to the show, I'm just going to be a little bit redundant, but, like, for me... The film festivals and the screenings are opportunities to get email addresses because that is the most valuable thing that I get out of a film festival. So, you know, every screening is an opportunity to try to get more audience members to connect with, um, more quote-unquote fans, though I really hate that word fan because it feels like there's a power dynamic there. Um, In addition to that, if you want to get press, it's press. Um, it's really just like keeping up momentum, communicating with your audience, marketing the film, creating more impressions. You know, there's that theory that like if you 
um, mention something three times, it'll stay in someone's mind more easily. So your idea is just to become a buzzworthy title leading into um, your reach outs for distribution and sales. So creating momentum and a little bit of a profile for yourself. Awesome. And I can't remember if I asked you this question online or offline, but um, just to reiterate for people, um, <clears throat> you know, I got approached by, you know, a handful of uh, sales reps and producers reps and got, got approached by another one at the screening itself, like right as I was leaving, he was like waiting for me at the, at the you know, the theater. Um, when's the time to reach out to them? I think you said just send emails, send the movie whenever, but like, I don't know, like, when do you want to, like, make your deal? Like, do you want to wait until you've played all your film festivals? Or do you want to still, you know, kind of sign on with somebody while you're still in the middle of your run? Like, when do you make that deal? Yeah, when you're in the middle of your run, for sure, if not the beginning, you want to do it from a place of power. So when, if this is the biggest festival you're playing, this is when you want to do your reach outs. And you obviously have a few other wins in terms of festival selections. So it's reaching out or being connected to the companies from a place of power at the towards the peak of your festival release not on the down hill or decline um and then um unless for some reason you think that the future festivals will be more of a market for you then there's no reason to wait so if you think that you're going to play a bigger festival or that you have a good chance of playing a bigger festival, then you might want to wait yeah. until that bigger festival. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of where we're at right now. Like we're not 100% sure. And like, I think one of the ones that we got into is, you know, it's kind of arguably bigger. Who knows? They're kind of like really close, but um, that one's coming up really soon um, in October. So I guess it's kind of the right time, but I already one of the uh, sales reps got back to me like the day after the screening, mm -hmm. and they were like, "Hey, can you send me the link now?" And I sent it off to them. So I, I was planning on just like kind of go, go, going through the list of people who already emailed me and just being like, you know, hey, the, the movie's ready. Um, here it is, and just send yeah. it over to everybody and just like start that process, and then but then not make a deal until um, until I know like where we're landing, you know? Like, I think that's as far fine. As I think it's also good for people to view your film with the sense of, of its reach. So, like, while I don't think you're in trouble for sending it out now, if you do get into a larger film festival, what I would have encouraged you to do is um, wait until for sure that that's the best festival you're going to play. Oh, okay. So, wait, you think, then. Okay. Just until you know for sure. Like, for me... Um, the best festival I always get into is Woodstock. <laughs> it's like I can't oh, break right. through the Woodstock barrier, which is fine because I really like Woodstock. But like once we got into Woodstock, it was like, oh, OK, well, I know what we are. I know what we are now, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the idea of if you're going to play a high profile genre festival, then you're going to have additional outreach and the moment the the momentum from the other players um, may wane if it's been too long since they've screened it to that time. Mm, okay, interesting. All right. Good to know. It's all in the timing. So, so Liz, uh, I think you've got mail. My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. Um, we have a letter from Rob K. Okay, so I always feel like I shouldn't read the whole letter, but I'm going to read the whole letter. Uh, <laughs> it 
so I think you need to read the whole letter. It's a good one. All right. As a fellow Fantastic Fest failure, it was fun listening to the festival talk and wanting and wanted to talk about international festivals. I make horror comedy stop motion shorts that are unsettling and we use a ton of fluids in our works. In my experience, countries outside of America have a greater appreciation for more surreal works, and we have been translated into six different languages, languages during our festival run. International festivals, for the most part, are way cheaper and sometimes are free to submit to. <laughs> we played at Indy Lisboa in Portugal, a festival I submitted to during a film freeway frenzy, and it turned out to be one of the best festival experiences we ever had. Promotions everywhere, including clips from our short plane at kiosks and the subway stations. Sold-out screenings at a legendary theater, super-engaged audiences, and the warmest programmers. They offered a three-night stay at a hotel across the street. And um, here's where Rob mentions that his uh, film is three minutes long. Pre-COVID, they had about 40,000 audience members a year at a festival I had never heard of. Um, we even have a fancy movie page because of it, even though I know it, I have no idea what that means. Um, so Rob continues, there is also an appreciate appreciation of works in Europe known as trash films, which is basically an appreciation of the more out there works. The big genre festivals in the U.S., of course, screen some amazing work. But the amount of a woman is alone on the bed and the door slowly opens to reveal a scary face and cut to black films they program is astonishing. That's, I've never heard of that subgenre. Um, long story short, I submit to way more international festivals now and keep my U.S. ones to a minimum. If you have a film you are worried is too unpleasant for a festival, hit up some of the international ones. Movie Maker's Top 50 Genre Festivals is a great place to start. Side note, the Coney Island Film Festival pre-COVID has the most fun opening night parties, and they are mostly a genre festival. Thanks for the podcast. All the best. Rob K. So thank you, Rob, for sharing all that fantastic intel and giving some more credence to international film festivals on our show. Yeah, um, I, I submitted to a bunch of international film festivals uh, for my film, and I got into two so far. So, woo, we'll see how it goes, see if it keeps on happening. Um, but, uh, yeah, the dream, I've heard so many stories from filmmakers of being flown out to some place to, to have their movie screened. I, one filmmaker told me that they got picked up by a limousine at the airport for one and, like, was stayed in the most beautiful hotel they've ever seen. It was all expenses paid. I'm like, this has not happened to me before. <laughs> Phoenix Film Festival does that. I wasn't a limo, but oh. it was a really nice luxury SUV. So, again, oh, plug for Phoenix Film nice. Festival. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, uh, we got into their horror film festival last uh, two years ago for um, – not two years ago. Yeah, two years ago for um, for my movie Parka. And then COVID happened and we couldn't go. And so it was totally bummer. We, me and my, my co-director were all set to go and everything. But because of that, I submitted to their, their horror festival this year. So Yay. we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, okay. I think, uh, we I did think it. that's it. I think that's, I think that's a good episode. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Cameron, it's decent. Yeah. It's decent. It's less passionate than before because I think my, my, uh, you know, my tensions are so much lower now. So I don't have as much, you know, nervous energy to, to have to get out through talking. Um, yeah. There will be more well, things to stress out about in the future. I promise oh, you. And I'll, I'll, I'll have some to bring sure. to the show coming up because um, we're on our way. I also just landed um, an interview for uh, the alternate from DWF, too. So that was fun. Yay. At one of my favorite websites that I like to go to every day. So that was pretty cool. Um, anyways, 
So if you want to be like Rob K, you can send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes, uh, like people have done in the past. Haven't happened in a little while. You can also go to our YouTube page, uh, leave a comment uh, or question. Um, and lastly, and probably most importantly, we have a Patreon page. And this is kind of how the whole show uh, is uh, run, uh, is through Patreon. So um, if you go to it, you'll see that we don't, you know, <laughs> we have some love. But uh, basically, I'm paying for most of the show now, or Liz and I are together. So... If you want to help me make the show happen and me and Liz make the show happen, um, that's a good place to go and toss us a buck or two. And then if you do $9, we still have pins, right, Liz? We do. Yeah. Awesome enamel pins, which are super dope. So if you if you, you come in at the $9 level, we'll give you a pin and Liz will send it to you. Um, she used to have them by her desk. She used to be able to hold them up. But not anymore. <laughs> I switched um, desks. <laughs> so which tasks um, and then finally check us out, out on Facebook Instagram and Twitter at MMIH podcast and YouTube at making movies is hard podcast which we already said um, and lastly you can check out the International Screenwriters Association the ISA that they are an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals consultation courses, contests, and their top 25 writers list featuring some of the, their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. And thanks for listening, and thanks to uh, Veronica McKenzie for being on the show. It was really, really fun. Um, you can check out our website, makingmoviesahard.com, where you can find links to the things we talked about in this episode soon. Not now, but in like a week. We just need I think to this scrap is all going to be resolved. <laughs> It's going to be resolved, Liz. I want people to know there is a website. It's going to be it's going to be taken care of. Okay. Just give us give us a minute on that. Um, and thanks to editor Cameron for doing the editing. I asked Cameron earlier this week. I was like, can you just be our full time editor? And I heck, stop asking you if you're going to edit every week. And he said, yes. Aww. So he's our full time editor from Sacramento um, for, for you, Ulrich. I mean, this guy is very sweet. And he's he's getting really fast. And I will say I had like zero notes on the last edit he did. So amazing um so yeah thanks everyone for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week i'm liz manishal i'm a writer director producer um with two features on which i did those things i'm a former film critic a current distribution consultant who unit well fuck i fucked it up um